X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Wednesday, the 2nd of December. Today, back in the day, December 2nd, 1845, President James K. Polk announced his intention to annex the Oregon Territory. 54, 40, or fight. That was Polk's rallying cry on the campaign trail. He referred to the line of latitude that served as Oregon's northern border. Polk's plan was to boot the British out of Oregon, push the U.S. border south of the Rio Grande, or the Rio Grande, and take over California. It was a huge expansion plan, all in the name of Manifest Destiny. By 1845, Americans outnumbered Brits in the Oregon Territory by about six to one. So instead of an all-out war, Britain agreed to split Oregon at the 49th parallel. And thus, the territory containing what would later become Oregon joined the American Empire. Today, back in the day, December 2nd, 1859, militant abolitionist John Brown was hanged. And yeah, by the way, it's hanged, not hung. Christmas lights can be hung, but human beings, when they are put to death, are hanged. John Brown was an ardent abolitionist who protected escaped slaves and took up arms against slave owners. Brown's father acted as an agent for the Underground Railroad, and this exposed Brown to the painful and violent reality of slavery early in his life. And in 1851, Brown established the League of Gileadites, a group which protected fugitive slaves from slave hunters. He also helped escape slaves get their own land. Brown believed in eradicating the system of slavery by any means necessary. He was involved heavily in bleeding Kansas, defending the city of Lawrence against pro-slavery raiders from Missouri. Brown then led a raid into Missouri where five pro-slavery men were killed. He later helped plan and fund a slave insurrection at the Federal Munitions Arsenal at Harper's Ferry. But the rebellion at Harper's Ferry was crushed, and John Brown was charged with murder and treason. And today, back in the day, December 2nd, 1859, John Brown was hanged. His actions exacerbated existing tensions leading up to the Civil War, by the way, and he became a martyr for the abolitionist cause. Today, we will have your Quick 6 News headlines and an interview with Alex Frayne from Eater. X-Ray. First up, it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Yesterday, Kate Brown unveiled her budget, $25.6 billion, her plan for the next two years. That's what's called the biennium. This is the first step in the budget process that now heads over to the legislature, where they actually do the budget, and then the governor has to sign it. In her announcement, Brown said the spending plan is designed, and I'm quoting, to ensure the future we build is a just one. According to the governor, the new budget prioritizes pandemic recovery, wildfire management, and equity efforts. Also represents an 8% increase in spending over the previous two years. About $100 million of that increase is headed to expanding preschools for lower-income families, looks to boost the judicial system budget by about 34%, and it proposes a 56% increase in spending on community development programs. One notable cut in the budget includes proposed closure of three minimum security prisons. In August, state lawmakers rejected a plan to close two of those prisons, arguing they provide a large number of jobs for the nearby communities. But unlike other parts of the budget plan, Brown might be able to act without legislative approval to close those facilities. One budget didn't go up or down, the school budget remained pretty much the same as last time, about $9.1 billion. That figure nearly matches the amount experts say will keep schools from making large cuts, assume staff levels in schools will stay the same as they are for the next two years. And all my friends out there major in the humanities understand that the application of government morality is in fact the budget. So help willing, we'll continue to cover the budget. A federal judge has found Portland in contempt over its continued use of less lethal munitions. In late June, U.S. District Court Judge Marco Hernandez required that Portland police limit their use of crowd-controlled devices following a lawsuit by Don't Shoot Portland earlier that month. 
Now, that same judge has found the city of Portland in contempt of that order. Judge Hernandez cited three specific instances where Portland police violated the restricted use of less lethal munitions. Two of those incidents involved a particular officer who, in one case, fired 15 less lethal rounds at protesters as they scuffled with police over a banner. Hernandez also cited an incident where a protester was fired on while attempting to pick up an object. According to the judge, officers fired, quote, before the protester even had the object in their hand. The penalties for these infractions have not yet been announced. Yesterday morning, Mayor Ted Wheeler issued a statement on the ruling in which he said, quote, the ruling is another important tool to help us respond to our community's call for reforms. He also thanked officers for, quote, their service to the city in these difficult times. Four East Portlanders have emerged as possible replacements for State Senator Shamia Fagan. Multnomah and Clackamas County Commissioners are now tasked with filling Fagan's empty Senate seat. Fagan, of course, just won the election for Secretary of State. So now there's an appointment process. The way it works is it starts with the Democratic Party local activists. They're called precinct people, and they make nominations. Those nominees then go to the county commissioners. Because Shamia's Senate district is in two counties, both Multnomah and Clackamas, means both of those county commissions will get to vote. Four folks have since announced their interest in taking Fagan's place in the state Senate. They include Representative Jeff Reardon. He's been in the state house since 2013. Every state Senate district in Oregon, of course, is made up of two state House districts. Reardon's in one of those state House districts. The other House district, by the way, is Diego Hernandez. He has not announced any intent to go for the Senate seat. Also on the list are activist and executive director of Unite Oregon, Casey Jama. Casey pursued the Democratic primary in that district a while back. As I recall, he came in third. Also, former president of Oregon's nursing union, Adrian Enghouse, and the operations director of the Oregon Democratic Party, Candy Emmons. Shmi Fagan wrote last week, by the way, that she's going to remain in office through the end of the year rather than resign early to prepare for the new role in case Governor Brown calls another special session. Monday was the deadline for candidates to get that nomination, and now the precinct people are going to vote December 15th. County commissioners will decide after that. And now, time for your daily dose of data. Yesterday, Oregon set another record for COVID-19 deaths in a single day. Oregon Health Authority announced that COVID-19 claimed 24 more lives, raising the state's death toll to 936. In their daily update, OHA offered their condolences for all those who have lost loved ones to the pandemic and reminded everyone to wear a mask and avoid large gatherings. They also announced 1,233 new cases of COVID-19, Multnomah County reported over a fifth of those new cases at 270. Washington County reported 158, and Clackamas reported 148. OHA also clarified that yesterday's unusually high positivity rate was due to a backlog of unprocessed test results. As a bit of good news, hospitalizations have slightly declined. Yesterday, there were seven fewer patients hospitalized with COVID-19, and six fewer patients in ICU beds. Two Portland lawyers have announced a civil lawsuit against State Senator Rob Wagner of Lake Oswego. Wagner is now the Senate Majority Leader. He used to chair the Lake Oswego School Board. And now two Portland attorneys, Michael Fuller and Kim Sortle, are suing him. They allege that Lake Oswego school officials failed to investigate a student's claims of racial discrimination. According to lawyers, a student experienced repeated racist bullying for years after switching to the Lake Oswego School District. The district recently allowed the student to double up on distance learning in order to graduate early, a decision the board made while Wagner was the chair. However, they had allegedly done little to investigate the racist bullying in the years since it began. 
In a press release sort of called Lake Oswego Schools Hotbeds of Racism. Lake Oswego Schools have dealt with numerous racial incidents in the past, including back in 2018, students walked out after a biracial student was handed a note covered in racial slurs. Senator Wagner said he didn't know about the context behind the suit and asked that questions be directed to the district. And finally, good news. Relief grant applications are now open for restaurant and food cart owners in Multnomah County. Following the implementation of a new shutdown in November, Governor Brown set aside $55 million to aid Oregon businesses. About $7.6 million of that is headed to Multnomah County, where it will be distributed to local businesses in $500 to $1,500 chunks. Any business owner who held a food service license between January and September of this year can apply. Food cart owners are limited to $500 per license, while other business owners can apply for $1,500 per license. And to keep the money heading to small businesses, owners with more than five licenses are ineligible for the grant. Also, according to county officials, women and BIPOC-owned businesses will be given priority. Applications are being accepted through December 15th, and the county expects the checks to hit people's mailboxes by the end of the year. And that's and that today's, today's Quick, quick six, 6 Local, local Rundown. rundown. For our next segment, we have a conversation between X-Ray's Christine Alexander and Alex Brain from Eater PDX. Alex will share how the restaurant industry has responded to the month-long statewide freeze implemented by Governor Brown at the beginning of November. Our guest today, Alex Brain from PDX Eater. As we approach the end of the statewide freeze that impl- um, implemented a lot of new coronavirus restrictions, a lot of restaurants are once again adapting to a new reality. So here to talk about the restaurant industry and how it's responding, Alex Frain from Eater PDX. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Did you do anything for Thanksgiving? Um, I had a very quiet Thanksgiving with my parents. Me too. Just- the three of us so that's so funny it was just the three of me my mom and my uh big sister had thanksgiving oh, just the three of us so we definitely yeah, keep, keeping it very small keeping it very contained yeah keeping it safe right yes exactly well speaking yep. of keeping it safe that's what the governor's trying to do with these uh um all these regulations and under the restrictions that were put in place just under a month ago Restaurants were unable to offer any form of dine-in. That even included outdoor patios, outdoor dining. How are the business owners reacting? <laughs> um, well, if you're asking how they're reacting to the uh, shutdown, I think most of the ones that I spoke with were somewhere between understanding. I mean, they were all understanding. They understand what the you know what the point is. Uh, these are people who want to keep their employees safe. They want to keep their guests safe. They want to keep themselves safe. So there was a, a, a strong understanding for why those regulations were coming from the state. Um, the outdoor dining thing is kind of the biggest um, sticking problem, point, though. Yeah. Yeah. So um, as you probably, I mean, as I'm sure you know, like you said, December 3rd, Thursday, there's going to be some loosening of regulations for the whole state and um, including a slightly less reduction for Multnomah County and a few other counties that are seen as being an extreme case. And that does probably include uh, the allowance for uh, outdoor dining for restaurants and bars and food carts. 
So that's on, did you say Thursday? So that the that restrictions are being eased, so we might be able to dine, dine at the restaurants we like outside. Yes. Okay. Now, that might is kind of the uh, instrumental thing here. There's what most restaurant owners that I've spoken with is um, what, what they're having issues with is this kind of what they see as a back and forth. Oh, uh, yeah. This, uh, um, teeter-tottering of regulations. So over the course of the summer and the fall, um, if you were driving around any neighborhood in Portland, you probably saw all of these new outdoor plazas and dining spaces and uh, outdoor tables. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there was an extension that people could put outside seating where they would normally have uh, parking. So they're building all these barricades and you know, single walled stands with roofs to protect from the rain and everything. And there was, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars being invested um, in these outdoor dining areas. And then a few weeks ago, they were told they can't use them. So they had to shut them all down. So all those bars and restaurants and everyone had to once again, go through the process of shutting down, finding a place for their food to go, their excess food, uh, finding unemployment for their employees, laying people off, furloughing employees shutting things down and then only to hear a few weeks later that actually yes outdoor dining is available and so a lot of them currently don't have a lot of faith that it's going to remain that way especially after the thanksgiving uh, rates are looking to likely you know spike um covid rates and covid testing and everything it was probably going to spike considerably so there's a lot of hesitation to want to go through all of that process again and reopen all these places again, only to be shut down in like a week or two, possibly. Right. Well, you know, we're talking about the business owners. Is there a difference between how the business owners and the workers are reacting? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, there's there's uh, I've spoken with um, servers and bartenders who just don't feel safe going back to work at all that actually would rather see these dining rooms closed you know even for outside dining because they don't necessarily feel safe going back Mm -hmm. and serving people who will not be wearing masks um you know the the process is supposed to be for guests to come they wear a mask they wear a mask every time they interact with a server uh but that just doesn't really happen if you're having a meal or having some drinks the server comes back out you might not have time to put your mask on or you might not have the inclination or you might be, be, you know, a couple drinks in and not remember that you're supposed to be masked when you're ordering, things like that. So not everyone feels safe being in that service position. It, right. It has its dangers. Well, so uh, you've got an article for Eater that's titled The Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association uh, is Suing the State Over the Recent Dining Room Shutdown. So you outline the ORLA's suit asking for a suspension of the order. Can you start out by explaining what the ORLA is? Right. So the the Oregon Restaurant and Lodges Association and the um, they were with another restaurant organization as well. It's basically a collection of restaurant owners and operators that um, that that allegedly speak for restaurants as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and Orla has a lot of credibility. It's made up with mostly smaller restaurants. It's not like a whole bunch of chain restaurant owners that are just suing the state so they can stay open. It, it, it does have a focus on local and smaller restaurants, bars, and lodges. 
Uh, but that's uh, essentially what they are is they are um, supposed to be re- representing the interests of local restaurants. And and do you have any word on so so they're talking about um, filing so they're talking about filing a suit in this uh, yeah, article. So Tell me about the article. Well, um, so they were looking to <laughs> sue the Oregon government uh, in order to put an injunction or a pause on the shutdown. So in, in, in order to let restaurants remain open, their position in that lawsuit was that they were better suited to keeping people safe than people would be gathering at home, that they invested them being the restaurant industry, you know, invested in everything from air filters to the aforementioned outdoor outdoor dining spaces to uh, restaurant training for how to um, better and safer serve the community. Mm-hmm. So they had done this in, uh, level of investment to keep people safe, and then they were still being told that they couldn't operate by the governor. Uh, their position was also that there is no concrete evidence that outdoor dining poses as high of a risk to uh, people as, say, gathering indoors. Mm-hmm. We don't know that for sure. There's, there's not a ton of evidence about outdoor dining yet just because you know how these things go studies are difficult uh there's always you know a million variables involved so it's really difficult to say whether or not outdoor dining is is a major vector for uh, this transmission i'm certainly not anywhere credible enough to say whether it's safe or not yeah uh but their position was basically that they would be able to handle you know keeping people safe while remaining open and at the same time, uh, the other thing is that, you know, they were worried, uh, I, I think rightfully so, that this would be a catastrophic blow to the industry. And when you talk about the industry, it's, you know, it, it sounds kind of nebulous and faceless, but it is, you know, I, I know a lot of restaurants and bar owners, and a, a lot of them are just, you know, small business owners. They right. might be like a couple or even like an individual who happens to own and operate and work in their own space. Um, so when you're talking about the you know widespread decimation of an industry like that, you're also talking about how how crucially it affects these individual lives. And with the lack of support from the federal government, with the fact that we got a $1,200 check, you know, however many months ago that was, I can't even keep track yeah. anymore. And, yeah. and that's basically it was it. an eternity you know? ago. Yes, right. Um, then you're looking at a really, really, um, uh, like I said, a really catastrophic. Uh, potential blow to these people's livelihoods. Yeah. So their problem was, you know, all that. Uh, from what I understand, the lawsuit was rejected. It was oh. uh, ruled against. Oh no! Well, um, do you know and that was prior to the loosening that is going to happen later this week? So all that happened, and then, you know, uh, last week or whatever, Governor Brown said um, that she would be loosening restrictions on counties everywhere. And allowing for outdoor dining. Gosh, Alex, it's a it's a big, uh, especially in a foodie town like Portland. This is a big deal. We're losing a lot of our our beloved places to gather and eat. Um, right. Our guest is Alex Frain. He's with Eater PDX. So, um, anything else we need to, uh, that that's on your radar in the last two minutes that we should be aware of? 
Well, one of the big things that we've always been talking about, we talk about again and again and again, is the allowance for cocktails to go. That's yeah. one of the, 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 the biggest issues that the industry has is that the Oregon government, uh, with a few exceptions, has not bothered to discuss that, to even bring it to the table to vote on it. Some representatives, Representative Rob Noss, who represents my district, he's been a major proponent for it and a big supporter, and I can't appreciate that enough, but we're not seeing that movement. And there's some speculation that the reason she's opening, when I say she, I mean Governor Brown, uh, and the administration is reopening outdoor dining is to kind of uh, skirt that issue once again. It's complicated. It's in, uh, from what I understand, it's in the Oregon Constitution, which makes it very difficult Mm. to just say, sign a bill allowing cocktails to go. But there needs to be some movement on that level, especially if we're going to keep opening and closing bars and restaurants, you know, because even outdoor dining, even indoor dining, still is not going to account for how much business a place can get, and it's still going to be dangerous. And so one way that that could really, really be helped for a lot of people is to have the government work on that bill to allow bars to sell cocktails to consumers as they do normally, safely to take home and enjoy. Yeah, that would be a big help. Well, Alex, thank you for your information and keeping us apprised of what's going on in the restaurant industry. You can uh, find out more uh, and find more of Alex Frain's reporting on the Portland food scene at Eater PDX. Alex, have a good day. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks to Alex for joining The Local. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. Thank you for subscribing and giving us a five-star review. And thank you, Democracy. Talk Talk to to you you tomorrow. tomorrow. X-Ray.